the Cool Jobs Podcast. You're like, where's Saskatoon? Follow Cool Jobs Podcast on Instagram at Cool Jobs Podcast. You know 10 NHL players. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Please tell me there's video. Is there video of this? If there is, we're going to insert some right here on the podcast. Oh, we can do it live. This is the Cool Jobs Podcast with your host, Johnny Jasno. Okay, we are back with the Cool Jobs Podcast. I am so excited. I had to wear the rider jersey for this one. I'm so <laughs> excited. Cool Jobs Podcast brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment. If you're looking for a job, Mark and his team have opportunities in several industries and segments, whether it's finance, sales, engineering, supply chain, or executive. Mark is able to provide the process that identifies top talent and will get you hired. Check out all the job listings, crownjewelrecruitment.com, or search him on LinkedIn. Our guest today, Grey Cup champion from 89 with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and currently CFL on TSN, color analyst Glenn Suter. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Like, I, I'm guessing that you weren't born in 1989 yet. I, I was. 83. I'm an 83 baby. Okay. So okay. do I remember the game exactly? <laughs> Not quite. Have I watched it a thousand times since? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll send you as many highlights as you need. So <laughs> I keep them handy. Ah, that's great. I absolutely love it. Um, Man, your career with football has... Uh, Matt, been incredible. And then getting into the whole broadcasting side of things, really cool. I think a lot of sports, um, professional sports athletes tried that broadcasting career, but sometimes it doesn't last and they're not good and this and that. But you've had an unbelievable career um, coming from the riders into TSN. Um, basically, before we get deep into it, just give me the headlines, kind of what you're currently doing with TSN and what your job kind of entails. Well, I just um, I just actually... Uh, signed a new contract that uh, will take me for a couple more years into, um, you know, uh, into the the analyst job. And you know, basically anything that TSN needs with regards to football in general, I, I actually covered some Super Bowls as well uh, as a reporter for SportsCenter. But, you know, whether it's uh, the color analyst for CFL and and doing probably two games a week, sometimes three games a week, then the playoffs and Great Cup Championship. And that's my primary job and primary responsibility. But uh, I also will do the podcasts and the, you know, the radio work and uh, write blogs and things like that for the website. Uh, you know, whatever they need to help to promote Canadian football in our country is, you know, I'm, I'm a yes for all of those ideas because that's, awesome. uh, that's what's most important. So when the great cup is over in November, you don't just, we'll see you next season. Yeah, no, you no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, first of all, I uh, do radio every week uh, okay. dur during the season and off season. So that is not only in Saskatchewan, but also across the country I'll do, Radio hits sort of sporadically in the off season in Calgary and Edmonton, and then during the season there are weekly hits that okay you know just updating football fans from a national perspective. I you know the the guys that are in the cities that have the shows uh, they you know they have a good grasp of of their own teams, um, and what I try to provide is that national look. You know I've I've just traveled from Ottawa for, where I did a game with the Argos and, and the Red Blacks. And, and then the next game that weekend was Hamilton and, I don't know, Winnipeg. And then I came back from that. And now Edmonton Radio wants to do a hit on, you know, Edmonton, yes, but, okay, what are the other teams looking like and things like that? So it, it brings a national perspective. That's a great point. That's an awesome point. Um, let's back it up, though. Let's start at the beginning. Born New Westminster, B.C. Um, were you always into sport growing up? Was that your thing? Did you play all sports or was it just strictly football? Where did this, I guess, love come from for football? Yeah, you know, I, I played all sports. I mean, I when I was really young and growing up in Prince George and moved back, uh, I was born in New Westminster, as you mentioned, oh, okay. but then immediately moved to Prince George when I was an infant. Uh, my father was in uh, Telecom Canada at the time, which turned into BC Tel. And so in the small city in Prince George, I grew up playing a lot of sports. I love street hockey. In fact, we lived on the same corner as Darcy Rhoda, who at the time played for the Chicago Blackhawks. So 
he would he would come out and and play street hockey with us when we were tiny cool. little kids. Yeah, and I and I loved it because uh, you know I loved all sports. So I played volleyball and basketball and um, you know soccer when I was really young. Soccer wasn't my favorite only because of all the running that was involved, <laughs> constant running. I hear you. Yeah, yeah, but. So, you know, it was a few years in Prince George, about uh, seventh grade when I moved down to Vancouver. By then, I had really uh, sort of not specialized in football yet, but I had really found that love of football. I, you know, I love that I could contribute and maybe not be the fastest guy. But if I was a little bigger that year as a, you know, playing amateur football, that I could maybe play D-line or O-line and, and, and the the team aspect of football drew me to it immediately. And, and there, you get that feeling in a lot of sports like hockey and, and volleyball. Right. But when there's so many guys on a football team that have to sort of put away their personal agendas and their, you know, and, and all their, any selfishness they might have, that's what really attracted me to it. So I got to Vancouver and, and went straight into junior high or, uh, you know, high school, yep. basically junior high, grade eight to, uh, 10 here in, in Vancouver, and then 11 and 12 were senior high. That was a different school, but played football all the way through. And at that time now, I'm playing community ball as well as high school, and I was playing quarterback. I was I was a quarterback all through amateur football. I didn't all know through that. High school football, yeah. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, so my, my high school coach at Carson Graham uh, High School in North Vancouver, that's the senior high, just 11 and 12. Um, he is a well-known... Uh, almost iconic high school football coach. And many, many kids that have gone through the Carson Graham program have ended up playing pro football or junior football, university ball, certainly. And uh, I, we ran the run and shoot, and my coach sent me down to a Portland State camp when I was in grade 11 going into grade 12. And he said, uh, I want you to, to learn the run and shoot. The coaches down there at that time were Mouse Davis and uh, June Jones was one of the quarterback coaches coming just off his NFL career and his and his coaching resume was just intact. So I was the only Canadian down there and and that's when I kind of realized you know I can do this because these are all Americans and I'm not out of place. So that's awesome. That's when I felt like I could do it and then it was off to Simon Fraser University. Um I, I, you mentioned um so many guys on a team and I think a lot of people don't realize how many actual roster spots are there in a football team because they're huge right now right yeah I, I would say you know right now your active roster is around 46 between 44 and 46 depending on the year because that sort of fluctuates right but, um your your real roster is probably 55 and then there's wow. practice rosters and injury lists yeah, so you have a locker room of over 50 people, over 50, you know, athletes that are all competing for jobs, but have to do it in a way. And, and you know, I always say when I hear people talk about, you know, it's family and that, um, you, you know, everybody loves each other in the room. I'm not sure that's true. Family is a good way to describe it because sometimes we don't always get along with our family members. Good but, point. you know, when you're all together, you have to put away that that fight or that argument that you had. And you have to shelve that for the next three hours because you have a game and you have to have each other's back at that moment. So I, I think that's one of the great lessons that football brings like no other sport. Um, when you got drafted by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, were you like, OMG, I'm going to Saskatchewan? In a good way or in a bad way? Because there's a lot of pressure now because that's a very huge football province, city, everything. Was it a was it a overwhelming or was it like, I'm ready to go. Let's take this on. A little bit of both. It was, um, you know, my draft night uh, at that time, it wasn't on TV. And, you know, I had had calls from a lot of teams leading into the draft that, you know, just were you interested? In fact, the night before the draft, Frank Morris, who was a scout at the time for the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, Eskimos at the time, now Elks, yes, of course. Yes. Um, but he uh, he called me just before the draft, and he said, um, "Listen, we're we're thinking of taking you probably in the first round, and we'd like to uh, make sure we want to make sure that you'd be good as an Edmonton Eskimo." <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, "Absolutely." You know, I was 
I just wanted to play pro ball. I was, it was, this was an opportunity. The draft was going to be my sort of crack in the door to get in. And then I had to prove that I, I could stay. And uh, when I got that call from Frank, I, I called my friends and family. I said, I, I think I'm going to Edmonton. And so I'm listening to the radio for the draft in the morning that started, you know, real early Vancouver time. And I hear in the 10th pick overall, so first pick of the second round, okay. the, the riders take Glenn Suter. And, I, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, first of all, I just, there was a bit of surprise because I thought it was going to be Edmonton. And we went through the first round, and Edmonton didn't pick me. Right. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe Edmonton will pick the second round, and that's where I'll go. And I was kind of looking at where their picks were. And then I got the call from Saskatchewan, heard it on the radio, and I started to think, Ron Lancaster, George Reed, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, are you kidding me? I mean, I was living in BC at the time, and, I, and of course, graduate from SFU. So, you know, I, I was thinking the Lions would be really cool because... For sure. You know, if I could pick, the Lions would be really cool because I'd be playing in front of friends and family every single home game. But... <laughs> Saskatchewan was right at the top of of sort of the you know the the wish list if you could have one when you're drafted and again you really don't it just sort of get me to a training camp let me give me a chance to prove myself and that's all I really wanted but when I heard Saskatchewan um, I was ecstatic and you know when I got off the plane that first night I got off the plane from Vancouver going to training camp in year one. And, and we flew to Regina and then took the bus up to Saskatoon for camp. I'll never forget walking out of the bus or out of the cab at the time after flying into Regina and looking at Taylor field and just thinking about, I got so emotional. I was looking at Taylor field, thinking about Ronnie and George and going through all the guys that have played Saskatchewan rough rider football and just what rider pride was and, doing as much reading as I could on all of that. And I get out of the plane or yeah, out of the cab or at, at the stadium. And I'm thinking if I could just play one snap in that oh. stadium, one snap on game day, that would be such a dream come true. And, and then we went off to camp and it was like wow. a dog fight to make the team. <laughs> I just got, I just got goosebumps. Um, 11 seasons um, with the riders, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, is there is there a more passionate fan base in the CFL? I'm not sure there's a more passionate fan base in, in maybe the world and all of wow. North America, certainly. I mean, I know the Ryder Priders have been compared to the Green Bay sort of fan base. Right. Uh, I, I think we're better. I think Saskatchewan is bigger. Um, I, I often hear the soccer element over in the Premier League and things like that. And I would, you know, yeah, I guess um, that there's passion over there, but I've never been to a game, so I, I really don't know. I haven't spent any time in Europe, so um, I don't have any personal experience there. But I, as far as North America goes, sheer numbers isn't what defines a rabbit fan base to me. It's it's their passion, their overall commitment. Um, when things go bad, are they still there? Mid nineties were tough. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so you know, I think when you think of it, yeah, the states there's lots of games, including yeah. college ball, where there's eighty thousand fans in the stands. But more numbers doesn't mean more passion, and just like more money doesn't mean higher quality. Um, so I, you know, I when I think about Canadian football, Canadian sports, for sure, the the number one fan base is Saskatchewan Rough Riders. When I think about North American sports, they're number one. And I have to see soccer for myself, but I, I'm I'm going in with the Ryder Priders yep. on my side, and I, I like my chances. That's awesome. Um, when you played for Saskatchewan, do you feel, did you feel a lot of pressure as a player from that fan? Because the microscope is on you guys so much. And then on the B side of that, what is the hardest part about being a Saskatchewan Rough Rider? Is it that pressure from the fan and the judgment all the time? Like every play is blowing up big time good yeah, you, or bad yeah you you have to get used to that you have to it's it's a great life lesson though honestly um you know and i don't want to 
I don't want to, you know, cross a line here where where fans are thinking it's okay to be real jerks to to athletes because right. there there should be a line in the sand there. I mean, when an athlete is out with his family or his wife and they're trying to have a nice quiet dinner, they certainly CFL players will take the time to sign an autograph, but they don't want to be berated while they're having having dinner. So I want to, you know, make sure that there is a clear line there, but it, it it is something that um, once you once you bury yourself and lean into it, you understand that the fan base is so passionate and care about their team that they do get mad, and that's where that family analogy comes in. It's kind of like I have often said that Ryder fans are are kind of like a, fa- a father or or mother and their son, and sometimes that kid will will drive you nuts and really frustrate you and sometimes it'll make you very angry but there's this deep passionate love that you would jump in front of a train for this kid no matter what no matter how mad you are at that moment that you love that kid that much so i really make that analogy quite often because i think that's what you know rider pride is that's what rider nation does that's how they feel about their team so when when as an athlete when you figure that out and you know where it comes from. Right. It's not just instant hate. Exactly. It, yep. isn't, it actually isn't hate. It yep. sometimes is presented and it feels that way. And I've heard many of players, certainly quarterbacks in Saskatchewan, that have felt that. And they've, you know, they've let it affect them. Um, and I, you know, I'm human, so sometimes it hurts. And I've made mistakes in games that I was the wrath of the of the fan base and my wife took a lot of those calls because we had a listed number at the time. So that was, that was a, a difficult. You were in the phone book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a difficult, um, a difficult time in my career. It was, oh, it was man. actually in 89. I'm sure you know the play, but uh, I, I got a pass interference call. It extended a drive against the BC lions and that really put our playoff hopes in, in jeopardy. And, Right. Uh, you know, I was I was public enemy number one in that province. So I, I got the real brunt of it in that in that moment. But it was such a great life lesson. And I could tell you stories for hours of the fans that reached out to support me, because at the time I was thinking, you know, maybe I should retire and just stop this. So my teammates have to don't don't have to go through it. And you know, my wife and I talked about it at length and, and I was like, no, I'm not going to let one one play define me. And what helped to strengthen that resolve was all the fans and all the letters and all the people that called in call-in shows that I was on and said, you're a good player. Keep your head up. And let's go win the next one. And uh, that's that's what Ryder Pride is. It's, it's not hate. It's never hate. It's that's- just that great passion. Unbelievable. That is awesome. Um, speaking of fans, did you ever have any like creeper fans that went a little too far that were like so in love with you and, and the player <laughs> and what you were about and on the team? Like, did you have anything that you can uh, talk that you, that is safe to talk about? I don't well, know. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it being a rider in Saskatchewan comes with responsibility and it, it, you know, you can quickly make mistakes there and go cross the line, even if it's a little bit across the line. And you have to be careful, especially now. I can't imagine the players and the scrutiny now with with cameras on every phone and yeah. you know recording devices and everything that can happen. And, and that's not to say that any of the things that when you do cross the line are criminal or anything like that. It's just, if I, I'll put it to you this way. Um, the, the fan base at times was so passionate that they would ask me to sign um, a lot of different body parts, the the ladies. So, um, I, of course, you know, I was very uh, oh, gentlemanly and 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 a flattered, yes, but <laughs> had to be very careful with a lot of that. And uh, and I love it. And it was usually late at night at a at a bar or a nightclub or something where yeah, you're, oh, for you're, sure. you're out with the guys and the girl comes over and says, hey, can you sign this? And I'm like, yeah. Ah, uh, probably that's probably not. But I'll I'll sign this uh, coaster for you. How about that? <laughs> and, and let's be honest, Regina at the time probably what hundred and twenty thousand people. Like it's not a big city. Everybody comes from everywhere to watch the game, but the actual city is small. So you're running into fans all the time. Yeah, well, absolutely. And and you know whether it's getting groceries or at yeah. the bank or 
you know, you get the phone bill, paying your phone bill, whatever. It's yeah, it, you know, but again, what what a great honor it is to be, you know, and a responsibility, you know, because I know kids are watching and I know kids are looking and they're saying, you know, how do you conduct yourself if you're a Saskatchewan Rough Rider? What's the best way to do that? And people have made mistakes because we're all human. I've certainly made some too, but I think you have to keep that in mind always. And and when you do and you lean into it and you enjoy it and you spend five minutes with anybody who comes up to say hi, you start to think, man, this is special. And not that I'm special, but being a rider right. is important to these people. And this team is important to these people. And I'm not, I'm never going to uh, overlook that or, or take it for granted. 51 career interceptions with the riders. Um, how did you read the quarterback? Like how much prep goes into knowing who you're playing that day, how his patterns are, how he likes to pass his number one receiver, or are you just eyes on him where the ball goes or how did that all work out? Yeah, it, it's hours and hours of yeah. studying. And when, and when I talk to, uh, you know, when I'm a guest coach or I'm, talking to young defensive backs uh, that's what I will tell them is that the the film and watching film from past games is not like watching TV it's it's work it's breaking down the film seven or eight different ways in different cutups now that you can do now on a computer easily like you just you can do all first down plays you can look at isos of all the receivers you can just have highlights of those guys so you know exactly what they do well and what they don't. Uh, but when it comes to the quarterbacks, yeah, you you know, especially in Canadian football because the field's so wide, yeah, that the safety in the middle has to uh, leave, come out of his backpedal and leave to break on the ball for an interception before it's thrown. The problem with that is if you if you're guessing at that, quarterbacks will, you know, just toy with you. Right. They'll look you they'll look you off, they'll pump fake one way, they'll make that throwing motion. But at the end of the day, if you study them long enough and you watch hours of film just before you go to bed like I did, and hours and like I took I t- back then it was beta machines and I took a beta machine home. I'm not sure there were many players that took them home. Wow. <laughs> and watched them. So, um but I'd, I'd watch him for a couple hours before every night I went to bed because I wanted to have that image in my mind of the quarterback throwing. It was the end zone look so I could see the quarterback's throwing motion because when they actually do throw the ball, there is tells to when that's going to happen. And it's a lot to do with their legs and their hips. It's not necessarily eyes. You hear that from right. a lot of analysts. I read his eyes or the safety read his eyes. You can't really see his eyes from 25 yards away. 30 yards okay, yeah. away. Makes sense. But you can see all the throwing indicators. So when you're really throwing a football, you step with your off. If I'm right-handed, I step with my left leg. I point to the target if, as if there was an eye in your hip, and you point right to the target you're throwing to. The lead shoulder then points also to that target. The hand will, The other hand will come off the ball, and then when you start to throw, you see the real throwing action. So when you get that down to a point where you're not actually looking for it and it just automatically happens, that's when you can break just prior to the ball leaving the quarterback's hands. And that when that's when it gives you most the wow. most opportunity to make that interception. I love that you took the beta home and just went. <laughs> that was the last thing you watched before you went to sleep. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I um, a lot. When you were with the Riders, what did you do in the offseason? Because a lot of CFL players, probably even still to this day, have second jobs, right? Like... You just you sure you can make a good living, but you just maybe it's not quite enough to to take you through the year. So did you go back to BC or did you stay in Saskatchewan? What was your off season like? Yeah, the first few years I went back to BC and I would do lots of jobs. Like I would bartend and I would uh, at Gross Mountain here, a ski resort. Uh, I would do construction work because there was a lot of lifting and and not that I was a contractor, but I knew guys that were um, so. I'd spend three or four days a week with them, you know, just moving lumber and things like that. And, but it was always as long as it didn't interrupt full training. I mean, gotcha. I, I, I think, you know, I, I was probably at the beginning of the era where athletes took, stopped taking the off seasons off 
you know, the really when the season is over end of November, now you're starting your probably maybe you'll take till Christmas, but I don't even think they do that now. I, I think they're even wow. training before that. I, I would take until just after Christmas. And then it was full on training. And it was every day. Every day you're doing something different. And I, you know, I'm not talking about having those sauna days or anything like that. I'm talking about training banks and weights and track work and all, you know, all the hills, inclines and declines, all the different band work that you did and you get workout partners and it's a full-time one, you know, 24 seven job. If you want to make it now, you, yeah. you know, you, you have to put the work in no question. Um, let's go back to 89 Grey Cup, Skydome, Toronto, 54,000 in attendance. Uh, Ticats are your opponent. How vivid is that game for you? And like, I, obviously it is because you just were talking about different plays. Um, but like, do you just, do you think about it lots? Oh, no, not really. You know, no. I, I, you know, I, it comes up in my mind more now because, uh, well, first of all, I just did a speaking engagement in Macklin, Saskatchewan and Plenty, Saskatchewan. And both times I showed highlights of that game. So it's a little fresher in my mind right now. But, uh, you know, for, for the most part, I am preparing and, and, and looking at the game differently than I did as a player. The player was train, prepare, what can I do to help my team? Right. Now I'm helping and working at with another team to prepare to present the game. So I'm I'm looking at all the all the players on all the other teams, all the new guys coming through, trying to prepare for the season there, and also looking at the great games and what what sells our game and and what what uh, is unique about it. And one of the things that unique about it was on display in that '89 game, and that was wide open scoring that. Yes, maybe slightly down this year after missing a season and having a shortened season. Yes, CFL scoring is slightly down. We're talking like a field goal. But it will go back up. And the rules allow for the potential of high-scoring games. You know, in that 89 game, there were 83 points scored in yes. that 89 game. That has never happened in a Super Bowl. Never. And, you know, again, we don't have to compare the two leagues. We're going to but, talk about that yet because I have lots of questions on that. But anyway, continue. Okay, yeah, but the the <laughs> rules, but the rules for in Canadian football allow for the opportunity right. for real high scoring games and for scoring in a lot of different ways. You can score on a missed field goal return, way way higher probability of that than any other league. And what's I think most exciting about Canadian football is the final three minutes. Mark Tressman, who is a head coach in Montreal, he. He used to say the CFL, I have learned, is 57 plus three, 57 minutes of game action and then three minutes of the most wild anything can happen three minutes in all of football anywhere in the world. And that is what, you know, really is unique about our game that the Canadiana for sure. Yeah. But but also that final three minutes where you can score three different touchdowns, sometimes four (laughs) touchdowns have been scored in the final three minutes of a football game. That doesn't happen no. on the other side of the border. So, no. you know, I, I, I think my focus is really on, on that and how I sell it. And so I don't, I don't go back and think too much about, you know, every play in that 89 game. No, no, for sure not. Although I don't mind when fans bring it up because everywhere I am across the country, some, a Saskatchewan fan will come up and say, you know where I was when the ball went through the uprights? I was with my dad, and I love those stories, so keep them coming. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, with the win, you got back to Regina. How crazy was it, that experience? Because that's always the fun part that um, maybe isn't televised. There's not too many pictures kicking around. The parade, the celebration. Did you get the keys to the city? Like, you guys must have <laughs> been, been kings after that one. Yeah, I, I didn't get the keys, but maybe maybe one of the quarterbacks or I don't know Bob Poley or one of the old linemen yeah, yeah. got the keys. But uh, no, it was it was unbelievable. Like half of Taylor Field was sold out. Like they didn't they didn't sell one side of it, but they sold the other side right. as a wel- welcoming. And it was probably twenty below. I can't remember, but it was really cold when we got off the plane, and we bring the cup around and and. There is one whole side of Taylor Field that is completely full, wow. and and going just berserk crazy. And I and I've heard it since then years 
you know, for years about the partying that was happening in the streets of Regina and Saskatoon and all the small towns across Saskatchewan and, and the shots of people in little pubs in, you know, places like Plenty and Macklin, Saskatchewan, tiny towns that, yeah. you know, are, are, are just rider fans everywhere that were in tears and emotional and so excited. And, and that's really, you know, the first week after winning that game, I think for a lot of players, certainly me was, this is for them. You know, this, it's been a long time coming. I, I will spend a, a lot of my life looking back and, and feel great, especially when I look at that Grey Cup ring and know I was part of that team. And that will always be there for me. But that week, to me, was so important to the fan base. It was, this is your cup, and you've earned it because you were with us for all of those seasons, as you mentioned, where we'd win one or two games all year. Um, yep. You know, cross your fingers that one of them was Labor Day, but one or two all year. And uh, and so it was a long time coming for those fans. So I think to a man as as players on that team, we were going, hey, this is for you guys. Enjoy it. Here's the cup. Let's party. And that city and that province did. How often do you wear your great cup ring right now? Not as much because you know why, and <laughs> this is just an. I would be wearing it every day. Every day I of my know, life. <laughs> I know, I know. This is just an old thing. I I used to wear it all the time when I would go to uh, either speak to kids or speaking okay. engagements or even corporate uh, speaking engagements. I would definitely wear it, but I've worn it less and less because you know it's sort of in a secure uh, area where I can see it, but. I'm just concerned, and uh, this there's no, nothing really you know philosophical about this, but I, I just I'm concerned that I'll be in a hotel because I'm in so many of them with right, my job, right? That I will just one day leave it on the sink counter and just be in a hurry because I'm late, grab my stuff, throw it in my bag, and forget it. And I think most of Canadians would give it back to me if that happened. Uh, but you never know. And I would just, that would be, that would be tough. So I, I, I just, I'm a little more careful with it now. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Hi there, Mark Curtis, Managing Partner, Crown Jewel Recruitment. We are very excited to partner with the Cool Jobs Podcast. A little bit about us. We specialize in mid to senior level management positions, all types of industries. We also have entry level all the way through to executive suite. If you'd like to learn more, please check out crownjewelrecruitment.com. Like Cool Jobs Podcast on Facebook at Cool Jobs Podcast. As a player or even today when you go to your job, any superstitions, anything you did oh. pre-game <laughs> or even and pre-game now, like same meal, same time, da, 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 or socks on, crack, like one of the like what yeah. do you do? Yeah, I, uh, oh, oh my, my <laughs> wife, my, you should talk to my wife about this. Okay. She just goes crazy. She just says, really, you can stop with this. In fact, to a point, and I know, I know this is a actual, like it's a serious condition for a lot of people, so I'm okay. not making fun of it. But, sure. you know, I was OCD and I went to my doctor. I said, uh, am I OCD? Because when I played, I had a routine that if I didn't do everything exactly the same way, I would have to start again. So oh, really? if I was if I was all the way into you know, full gear five minutes before or 10 minutes before kickoff. And I realized that, oh, wait a minute. I didn't tape my left foot first. I taped my right foot first. I would stop everything, cut off the tape, take my stuff off and get back in the same order again with my left foot being wow. taped first. Because I, you know, and I, and then, so that's why I asked my doctor, I said, you know, cause I, I do a lot of things around my house the same way. And my doctor had such a great, answer he said first of all if you feel like you do we can get you you know someone to talk to about it and see as long as it's not taking control of your life and you know you can't sleep and you know things like that and it hasn't um but i would i asked him about it and he said you know when you're a doctor everybody that's becoming a doctor has to go to school for like 10 years and you have to study long hours at night be there early in the morning you can't cut corners and I've often said, this is my doctor talking, he goes, I've often said that doctors are a little bit OCD. They have a little bit of that in them, obsessive compulsive uh, disorder. And they, you know, they, he said, so as long as it's not controlling your life, 
then think of it as an edge and that you are committed to maintaining routines because you can and it strengthens your mental uh your mental toughness and i thought what a great answer to give an athlete or a former athlete absolutely to say, to say this could be your edge <laughs> and, that's, and, and relax you too yeah because that's what we're looking for 24 7 is to find an edge on your opponent wow awesome that, I love that answer. I love that answer. Um, so 95, you decide to hang up the cleats. We're going to retire. We're going to go into broadcasting. What was that decision like? Or did you always know that you were going to get into that the broadcasting role? Like you, you felt it. You loved uh, talking about the game and, and it just went that way. Yeah, no, actually not at all. Um, okay. I sort of, um, you know, I, I hate to say lucked into it because I, I don't really believe in that. I, I think when your mind is open, and you're and you're going through your journey that if you're if you're available to see and listen to opportunities and listen to other people's decisions and ideas sometimes then you will find an opening for yourself that you fit into that can either help them maybe it opposes their idea but it it is something that you didn't think you would ever uh be involved with and the only reason you are is because you had an open mind and so I've always been like that. And when I was playing uh, and going through some tough injuries, I was hanging out with um, Wayne Witten, who is a uh, Ralco radio morning DJ. Wayne's, you know him. Wayne's a great guy. I know him very well, yes. Yeah, so CeCe. And CeCe and I became great friends. And, and Greg Morgan at the time uh, as well, is who's currently working at Ralco Radio also, um, he was there doing the AM side uh, CC was doing the FM side. So we became great friends, the three of us, and still are today. But um, we were hanging out, and Flash Ferguson was the the sports director at the time, and he also read the sports on both shows, AM and, and FM. And he, the, he uh, what did they call him? They called him, uh, not coach, but uh, I can't remember. But okay. anyway, Fla Flash Ferguson was the the sports director, and he was on his way to Ottawa. So this friendship had begun, and we were friends for about a year, maybe two. And he, the sports director at Rocco, decided that he was going to go to Ottawa, just transferred, and there was an opening. And I thought, hey, maybe I could do this. I, you know, I, I never studied in school. I never took class. I was a kinesiology major at SFU, so I never, never went down this yeah. this path at all. And then, and then, uh, you know, it was well, come on air as a guest. And let's let's do that. So I did that quite often. In fact, in the '89 run, getting back to that to that, you know, routines and rituals, I was on as a guest late in the regular season with CC, and because we won that game and went into the playoffs, I came on. I told him I have to come on with you every morning at the same time in the same day for the next three weeks during the playoffs. I love it. Because that's now part of my routine. And he said, well, I don't know if I can put you on the air every time. He said, you don't have to put me on the air. I just have to stand in the studio. <laughs> that's, that's where my head went. Oh, I love uh, it. Anyway, anyway, that, you know, that led to, that led to an audition basically. Yep. And, and I never remember, uh, or I always will remember uh, Mike Saplitney, who was the, the uh, executive producer of the station at the time, we sat down and he said, listen, um, as a sports director, you got a lot of work to do. We're, we're not sure how good you are and not even if you're good enough yet. But what you are good at, they said, was that the, the microphone doesn't intimidate you. And that's hard to teach. He said, so, that's the hardest part to teach like a kid coming out of college to not be afraid of the mic and not get too nervous and and not, you know, let that affect your performance. And he said, you don't have any of that. And you, you're real natural there. So he said, so we want to teach you how to become a sports director. And I, and I give a lot of credit to Rocco Radio for that. Wow. Yeah. So when did the TV transition happen then? How long did you stay at the radio gig until you went to TSN? Yeah, that was, uh, that was another one where, you know, without sort of, eyes wide open and, and talking to different people, it probably doesn't happen. But I, I was really banged up that year at the, I think it was 94. And 
I, I had a rib issue, a partially separated shoulder. Uh, my thumb was dislocated. And I, I had a lot of issues that I had to really train hard. So I asked the radio station for a leave of absence of about two months in the offseason so I could go to Vancouver, get with my old trainer, get back into real rigorous training and rehab. And they were no problem with it. So I did that. And when I was doing that, the Grey Cup happened to be played in Vancouver that year. And uh, I was just asked, because of my radio background, and I had been doing that for a couple of years, getting up at four in the morning, doing the morning show, going to practice, doing your lifting, going home at dinner, and then getting up and doing the morning show again. Wow. Yeah. So it it was a grind. But... Uh, I was enjoying it, and I and I and that's when I figured this could be maybe be something when I'm not playing. So I had that all in the back of my mind, and then I got that opportunity because of radio. They said uh, TSN came to me and said, "Listen, you're in Vancouver. You do radio throughout the season. Why don't you come on?" Because TSN didn't have the rights to show the game on TV. CBC did. Right. TSN right. had the radio rights. So. With TSN having the radio rights, it was John Wells, Leif Pedersen, and the late Leif Pedersen, and my and myself as a guest analyst, the Grey Cup, on radio with TSN in Vancouver because I was here and they didn't have to fly me or give me a hotel or anything like that. And they said, "Why don't you come on as a guest analyst through the game?" I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to try that." I did it, and right after the game, the guy said, "We're going to get a hold of you in the off season because." we may have something for you. And so that was just left like that. And three weeks before training camp, I got a call from TSN and they said, we're going to get a whole new crew for TV. We're getting the rights to cover the games and TV. We're going to get a whole new crew and not getting the rights, but increasing them. Right. And, and we need, we need you to do 20 games. Of course, you'd have to retire. This call was on a Friday, and we need to know by Monday, they said. So I am, wow. now, I am now completely trained and feel better than I felt in probably three or four years physically. Of course. You're ready to go play football. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at three or four more years if I stay healthy. And I can't wait to get back. In fact, my car was partially packed to make the drive back to Sustainable. Saskatchewan at that time. Wow. And I get this call and I look at my wife and I'm thinking, I got a decision to make. What do you think? She is brilliant. Her name's Elizabeth, by the way. She is, she's, she brilliantly says, no shot. Am I getting involved in this decision? You you know, because if this doesn't work out for you, guess who will be blamed for it? Me. So she was really smart. I was a little angry with that answer at the time. <laughs> but later on, in retrospect, I think, yeah, it was a really smart decision. So anyway, I, you know, I, I had the weekend to think about it, and it was very tough. I didn't sleep at all. Oh, for um, sure not. Because I still wanted to play. But I also, again, understood that um, these opportunities don't come along every day. I had had a long career, and, and the final determining factor was that we had won. If, if we hadn't had won in 89, then I probably would have gone back and played. But when I kept you know, thinking about that Grey Cup ring and looking at that Grey Cup ring, and I, said, and I thought, you know, for a moment, I was part of a championship team, and that's your dream as an athlete. And that was accomplished. So maybe it was time to move on and take this opportunity and and then figure out you know how you can become uh, you know part of a championship team in your new world and that yeah. was the goal so that was the determining factor wow. but that was a very tough weekend i i can't even imagine uh especially when you're that healthy ready to play yeah and <laughs> You have yeah. two and a half, three days to make that decision. Crazy. Yeah, well, I was I, I, I was looking forward to another couple of years, three years. Yeah, I, I I think I speak behalf on I'm going to say all Canadians when when I know when you're coming on doing the game and you're there like you made the right choice by far, <laughs> by far. Um, So we're what 
two months out-ish from regular season. Um, let's talk about your job now, like what your your day-to-day is. Do you already know your schedule for the whole season, like what games you're doing? Is that already all set in stone, or do they adjust it as the season goes? Uh, there are small adjustments that are made, but uh, we don't have them just yet. Um, uh, they will come out any day now, though. And we have TSN seminars where all of the guys, panels, okay. play by play by play a lot of the behind the scenes producers directors iso directors those guys uh and girls they they will all we'll all meet in toronto uh, and that's mid-may okay uh, we will go over you know basically all the new storylines uh new technology that we might be implementing uh new cameras new looks things like that new graphics that might be used you know it's also part of a brainstorm uh, session where we can all throw in ideas and think about different ways that we can present the game and um you know so that that comes up and we'll definitely have our schedule then okay uh, so that we can look at it and then and then for me you know i look at it's usually about two games per week um you know they, they're trying to make sure that uh, we can keep a cap on some costs i mean there are there are financial thoughts to be made here where you know, I live in Vancouver and spend a lot of the time in Vancouver or Saskatchewan. So for them, it, it makes more sense for me to do a lot of those games, even though even though I'll, they, there is no bias to an Eastern guy and a Western guy. Right. Say, right. It is, it is more of, uh, you know, it just makes more sense. There's shorter flights, you know, less travel time and costs stay down a little bit that way, too. So, yeah, you, Dwayne Ford you... lives in Toronto. Oh, yeah. So he's exactly gotcha. Yeah. Um, when you do two games a week, so you have to be inside and out on four teams, yeah. four teams of 50 plus guys, coaching staff, what they're all about. Like how much prep just go on one game? How much prep is done? One game riders, bombers. When do you start that? Let's say it's Saturday night. When do you start looking at them? Well, I, I keep a running log in the off season of all the different transactions and things like that. And, you know, I'll have my depth charts basically through the off season of new recruits, where they might fit in, not necessarily official depth charts because the coaches are pretty close to keep that close to the vest when they, you know, when they haven't really determined anything yet, they haven't gone to camp yet. So I, I you know, it's unofficial of course, but the, the studying is 24 seven. I mean, it's, it's all the time and I am doing, I'm doing radio every week in the off season. So I, you know, I'm, I'm staying in, in touch with all the teams and, and trying to talk at different times with, you know, the commissioner on down to um, different presidents, GMs, and also coaches and players. So uh, in the regular season to prepare for one game, every single night I'll be working on, on the charts every night. Wow. wow. It just doesn't oh, yeah. stop. Uh, you, you spoke about technology earlier. Um, is it called the Telestrator that you draw on? Yes. Yes. How, okay. There's so much that happens, I think, in your world when a play happens. One, replay needs to happen. So are you in constant contact with the replay guys being like, you want to show this angle or this position of the ball? Like, is that your job or are they telling you what they're going to show? Yeah, this is one of the things I, I absolutely love about television because it, it really gives me that team feeling. I mean, when I when I mentioned earlier that now I'm on a different team, that's really what it is. And as a viewer, y- you may not even notice the coordination. You're just enjoying a football game. But absolutely. But if it's if it's off and it's not good, you will notice. And you'll be going, why, why does this feel really disjointed and weird? And, and the game will be, I'll be talking, for instance, I'll be talking about a coach, but you'll be seeing a player. And then when I talk about that player, now you see a coach and you're going, wait a minute, he's not talking about the guy that, and there's, there's a lot of coordination. So, so here's the logistics, here's the logistics of it really is the play will happen and the play-by-play guy takes it from there. So, you know, I've got to give him uh, at least five seconds, sometimes more, to set up before the snap of the ball. So he's setting the formation. He's getting ready. You know, he's calling the play as he's as they break the huddle. And then he calls the, 
the live action, obviously, which only takes a few seconds. Yep. And then it goes to me. Now, immediately, I have the producer in one ear. Actually, the producer is in this ear. And I can hear the play-by-play guy in this ear. So those channels are separated so that I can hear, for instance, Dustin Nielsen, who did a really good job this year as our rookie play-by-play guy. Killed it. Yeah, he, he was awesome. And I could hear him. So I can hear how he ends what he's saying so that if he's leading me somewhere, in other words, if he ends a play by saying, and it's caught on the sideline by Shaq Johnson and and Glenn, he's he's caught three of those. If I'm not listening to him, that will sound really weird that I just ignored him and I moved on to talk about something completely different, right? Big so time. again, that's a small little communication thing that if if it's working, you don't really notice. But if it doesn't work, it really feels uncomfortable. So I'm listening to him and I'm listening to my producer. Now, my producer is making a decision in the truck. He makes thousands of decisions every game. And I have one of the best in the world. His name is John Hines. He's the best in pro sports. I don't care what side of the border and I don't care what sport. He is the best producer on the planet. And he will be in my ear looking at all the monitors in the truck and determining where we're going to go next. So it might be a replay. Now, if it's a replay, there are five or six different angles of that. For sure. Could be a tight look, could be a one-on-one look, could be a wide field look, could be a half field look, could be a look at the quarterback, an ISO of an offensive lineman. I don't know what they're doing there. But what I do know is he's going to tell me where we're going. So he might say, hey, let's let's take a look at the knockdown. I've got it I've got it in ISO. I know, and, and this happens in real time. So I this know is, this is so fast. Yeah, it happens quickly and it's every single play. So <laughs> so immediately he tells me where we're going. And then I know in my mind I've got to formulate, okay, I know what that might look like. If I didn't see it live, I'm totally trusting that what he's telling me is exactly what we're going to see. Yes. So let's say he's let's say he says, "I think that was pass interference." Let's look at that again. We've got an ISO of him, and I go, "Okay, I didn't see it live, so I'm trusting you, and I'm wow. going to start talking that he may have committed pass interference before I see the replay." Right. Because right. if I wait till I see the replay, now Dustin's got to start again. Right. And and I don't have time to explain what I'm going to explain. So wow. So that happens immediately. And then when it comes to Telestrator, oh yeah, you're just X's and O's and blocks and everything right. else. Right. Every like when it when he's when he tells me it's a it's a half field look. So that's a, a look from sort of the center half of the field so yep. you see two or three receivers, two or three DBs and he'll say half field and we've got that play in half field. So now I know that's a drawing opportunity. So I'll take the pen and it's just a, it's not an actual pen. It's just a, you could use your finger if you wanted to. And so I'll circle the guy and then I have to be watching the game live to be able to, to know where those guys ran. Because if I, if I ran and circled him and and drew you an out route and the guy ran a curl, you're going to go. Uh, he didn't he didn't see the play or what's he looking at right so all of that coordination happens Crazy. every every 20 seconds wow <laughs> you so you're oh oh man that's that's nuts that's crazy um when you guys and i i know we have to wrap up soon but i have a couple more questions um yeah. when when you guys are doing play by play in color like you do on TSN what level of i'm going to call it football nerdiness nerdness do you okay. can you go how like Cause you can go so deep and talk about things that nobody knows, but also you don't want to go just fluff because that's not football yeah. enough. Where's, where do you find that balance in that line? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Cause it, it is so important to have that. And, uh, you know, I, I often look at it and there's, there's a few different ways to analyze plays. I mean, you can think about the big picture of the situation. So you're, you're not necessarily building drama. The game is doing that on its own. But you're, you're explaining why the drama is, is so intense because this decision could lead to X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, then there's the players, their backgrounds, their bios, 
where they come from. I mean, when you watch a Netflix movie, you're not into that movie unless you care about the characters of the movie. So that's very important for us to tell the stories of our players so that people, and they're such great athletes, world-class athletes. That isn't said enough, but they are. And if the fan knows more about their family or their kids or their upbringing or their challenges that they can relate to, then they become more engaged. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's just the analysis, as we talked about, you know, why did a play work? Why did that guy get beat? Why did he succeed and this guy didn't? Those are all things that, you know, work into the mix. But that balance between getting too technical, getting too far down the football road is very tricky because you don't want to insult football coaches and players by fluffing it up, as you said, too far. But you also don't want to get down the road to where the guy's saying, oh, come on, don't, you know, we know what a curl route looks like. Right. you know, I can, I, I don't have to really know what a post route is to kind of figure out what it means, right? right? So don't get too far into the fluff and and be careful. And I learned this the hard way. I learned this in my first couple of years. Be careful about trying to become a comedian because <laughs> comedy is serious business. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's harder than it looks to try and be funny yeah. um, when you're doing a game. So I, I try to steer away from that. And I sort of think, Rather than try and be funny when the opportunity might be there, try and have fun. Yep. And that, totally. There's, there's a subtle difference there. Big right? time. Big time. Yeah. So, but that balance is crucially important because I don't want to leave any viewers behind. But sometimes I will explain something that is really fundamental to the game where a coach is going, oh, come on, you don't have to, which you don't see very much down south. I study all the guys that do the job that I do. Uh, both in the NFL and the CFL. And um, I don't see that as much. I I get sometimes into describing why something happens into more detail for a fan who doesn't know where the flat is. Yes. You know, you know, my wife, my wife's a prime example. She loves the backstory. She loves to know where these guys came from and what they did and all that. But exactly. She, when you say throw it to the flat, no clue. Right. So, so occasionally I'll draw that up. I'll say, this is what I mean by the flap. And a coach will go, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, we, that's, that's been forever. That's 100 years. Of, that's been the flat. Exactly. But, but there's a ton of viewers. And we always say to ourselves before the Great Cup as a crew, we always say probably 75% of the audience today will be watching their first football game. It's the same with the Super Bowl. Crazy. About 75% of the audience that day are watching their very first game of the year. So we have to go backwards and right. you know, all that work, all that work we've done all season to to talk about that quarterback and his background, we now have to reset some of that for the championship game because there's a whole lot of people that don't know that didn't see Cody Fajardo throw one ball all season long. But now they want to know who he is because they're watching the championship game with a bunch of friends. I like your foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, I, i'm supposed I, to be completely unbiased so <laughs> i uh i have a ton of questions i'm gonna end with this one and i know you've talked about it lots and i just want to hear it one more time why in this country of canada why can't we like the cfl and the nfl why is there this massive divide nfl fans hate me but i'm like i like the nfl too mm-hmm. i like both i don't yeah, know why too. we can't like both yeah, I, I don't know that I'll ever find the answer to that question, but I am going to do my best, and I need you and everybody else to become allies in this regard, and that is to start to just have pride in our game. Yes. Have pride in Canadian football and what makes it uniquely Canadian, Canadian content. As I mentioned, I never hear people refer to Canadian Football League players as world-class athletes, and they are. Absolutely. They are. And so, I mean, again, you you can easily go down the rabbit hole of comparison and more money doesn't mean better. Uh, Right. If you you were getting paid $10 million to do exactly what you're doing right now, would you do it any differently? Yeah, that's a great point. So it, it doesn't, that doesn't change the quality and 
Our game is exciting. The best three three minutes, the final three minutes in all of sport, no matter what sport it is, Canadian content, our very own, and nothing unites this country to me all summer long like Canadian football does. When that massive Canadian flag is pulled over Mosaic and it covers the entire football field, you may be sitting in Mosaic beside someone with a different political belief or a different religious belief or a different upbringing or maybe different colored skin. And you are both cheering for the same team and the same country and both standing there singing the anthem with pride. This is what our game does. And we need to stand and be proud of it. I, I make the analogy sometimes about, and I, and I just did when I was in my speaking engagements, our national animal in Canada is the beaver. Right. And, you know, I think probably a lot of other countries make fun of that. I think they probably look at that and they say, the beaver, the beaver is a rodent. And it's not an eagle or a bear or a lion or whatever some of the other countries have as their national animal. But when you think about what that beaver does, I'll take the beaver because the beaver with its teeth can cut down a massive tree. The beaver can take that tree, which is a hundred thousand times heavier than its body weight and drag it. The beaver is the only animal in the world outside of man that create and build their own habitat. The beaver are the most family-oriented animal on the planet. They build their own homes. They are patriotic. They bring down and are strong as any animal pound for pound. Yeah. And you can see a beaver dam from satellites in Alberta. They build them so big and so strong. I'm okay with loving the beaver. And if someone wakes, wants to make fun of that, I'll defend the beaver because I've got lots of facts and truths to defend the beaver. And that's what Canadian football is. Sometimes, yeah, it's like a family member. It frustrates us at times and there's things we'd like to change about them, but it is its own entity and we'd love it. and We have passion for it. And we can like both. We can watch both leagues. Yes. But let's do this. And I, I'm going to commit to it on and off the air. And I hope everybody else does as well. Draw your line in the sand. So when your friend or family member or buddy says, ah, uh, yeah, you know, I like the NFL because the CFL sucks. Say, stop. I'm going to stop you there because it doesn't suck. Yeah. It doesn't suck. It's Canadiana. It's ours. You know that we cheer for Canadian athletes at all levels and ages in every international event they go to without question. Is why good. are we not? Why are we hesitating to cheer for our Canadians that are putting on a great show for us in our own backyard and professional football in our country with a hundred and eight year history behind it? It's part of the culture of the Canadian culture, Canadian football. So that line in the sand is there for me, and I think sometimes we can be giving consent when we don't speak up, when we are silent. It sometimes give consent. And some of the times that the reporters in our country uh, that will take shots at the league or take the opportunity to devalue Canadian football, I've just sort of let that go because I thought, well, it's his opinion. He has a right to it, and I'll just do my thing. Right. I'm not going to do that anymore. I, I'm going to call out people that are devaluing Canadian football and devaluing Canadian athletes because. It's beyond uncalled for to me, and it's not true. Our athletes, if you want the facts, our athletes, Canadian and American, are as good as any athlete playing pro sports in the world, no question, full stop. 100%. They're huge, too. People don't realize these are massive men doing great things. Yeah, and, and, it's, and, and committing to the training, as we've just talked about today. Yeah, yeah committing to the training like any other athlete. The Canadian kid that went to the U of S, gets drafted into the CFL, is training and preparing for a professional football season as much or more than any NFL athlete you will ever see on TV. And just like you, I like both. I like watching you sports. 
I like watching NCAA football, especially around bowl season in, in January. I, you know, put a football game in front of me and I'm in. But I, I, I'm, I'm with you and I'm going to put that line in the sand and I hope I have. I like it. I know I, like I, know it. I have, after going to plenty in Macklin, Saskatchewan, I know I have 500 allies after that night. And I want to keep building that alliance because we need to have that. And no matter who says it, from the commissioner on down, yep. let's not allow anyone to value our game or devalue anything that we do as Canadians. Glenn Suter, unbelievable. <laughs> I cannot wait to watch you this season. Uh, CFL on TSN, you have one cool job. Thank you so, so much. I thank you like forever for being on this podcast. I really do. Thank you, Johnny. Anytime, man. Thank you. Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment. With over 200 people hired, Mark at Crown Jewel Recruitment will find the right person for you. You can contact him today, 780-984-8800 or email mark at crownjewelrecruitment.com. And one more thing, Glenn, I'm also on the Spirit of Edmonton committee. So drinks oh. on me, break up. <laughs> I'll see you there. Okay, well, I'm in pretty much lockdown, but okay. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I will have a friend or two. He can come and say hi, and then you can the beer can go to him. And I <laughs> okay, sounds <laughs> good, great. absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, thank you. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Have a cool job or know someone that does? Let us know. Email Johnny at CoolJobsPodcast.com. You got me feeling.